Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Together to talk about all the things we used to do. The laughs, the passions, the little Sebastians, the pets we fell into. And we're putting it all in a podcast. Then we'll send it up into the sky. We're calling it Parks and Recollection. Come on, little podcast, spread your wings and fly. Welcome, everybody, to Parks and Recollection, a show about parks and recreation. Here we have um, Mr. Alan Yang. He's my butch to my Sundance, Sundance to my butch. How are you, Rolo? Good to see you today. I'm good, and I'm and let's keep the Rolo thing alive. I think I think just <laughs> I I think I'm in my other of other world. I can be Rob, but here is Amy Poehler named me Rolo. I love, it makes me feel like I'm in the world of Pawnee when people call me Rolo, and I like that. It's good to be back, man. It's good to just watch these episodes, and then, you know, we're having some fun guests come on. Well, do you ever have that great thing where, like, right before you fall asleep, you're in bed, your eyes have been shut, you think you're asleep, actually, and all of a sudden you remember something and you laugh out loud in your bed? I had one of those moments around this episode, which I will get to when it comes up, but it just reminds me of how flippin' funny this show was yeah we were going wild in this one man some aggressive jokes also some like jokes that we probably wouldn't have done later seasons but yeah this one's buck wild man so lead us into this you're so good at that i have to say over these episodes one of the things that i've been loving about this podcast because it's newish still our podcast we're getting our footing man butch and sundance weren't always you know butch and sundance um is you really have a knack for the the intro outro lead in you could have been in radio. Natural storyteller. Natural storyteller, Rob. Never never done a podcast before. Just just like a, a seal going to water. Yeah. Just a seal going. I literally, this is, this is the dumbest tangent ever, but I watched a YouTube video of a Japanese man at an aquarium dropping a baby seal into a tank of water. And the seal for like 45 seconds is like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's so great. <laughs> He's so mad. And then... As soon as he's in completely in the water, he's like a submarine. He just like immediately says, like, yeah, that's a seal, man. That's a Anyway, look up the video. If you look up baby seal being introduced to water for the first time, highly recommend this video. It's a bald Japanese man dropping it into a like a small swimming pool of water. It's adorable. Anyway, let's get to the episode. Episode five of season one. It first aired May 7th, 2009. It's called The Banquet. 
It's about a banquet. It's written by Tucker Colley, directed by Beth McCarthy Miller. Uh, we're going to talk about Leslie's political tactics. We're going to talk about how Aziz influenced Tom's development. We're going to talk about how food is important to the show. Here's a quick synopsis of the episode. Leslie's mom comes back again. Leslie's mom, Marlene, is being honored at an upcoming banquet for public service. Anne is excited to go to the event after spending all her time taking care of Andy and is told by Leslie to dress very formally. To prepare for the banquet, Leslie herself visits an old-fashioned barbershop and gets a very short, mannish hairstyle. When getting to the banquet, Leslie and Anne, who's overdressed in an expensive pink dress and a suit, are mistaken for a lesbian couple. At the banquet, Leslie sees Janine Restrepo, remember that name, an influential zoning board member who could help with the park's project. When Leslie tries to approach her and makes loose future plans to meet, Marlene says this means Janine is blowing them off. Marlene tells Leslie to blackmail Janine with information about her husband's recent DUI. Dark turn in the story. Uh-oh. Leslie shares the advice with Anne, who says it sounds like a slimy move, but Leslie accuses Anne of pampering Andy. Meanwhile, Tom goes bar hopping with Mark, and he wears a goofy orange hat at the bar, which he calls peacocking. Love it. The two talk to women at the bar. Very 2009. Very 2009. But Mark finds them boring, and he leaves. Leslie confronts Janine about her husband's DUI, but it all blows up in Leslie's face. She abandons the plan and leaves. Leslie then visits Anne and apologizes, and Anne admits Leslie was right about her relationship with Andy. So the two stories intersect writing. How about that? That's pro writing right there. You guys. Uh, yeah, a lot going on. A lot going on this episode. Her mom is so mean, man. That's oh, what I wrote okay. down. Her mom is so what, what's mean. What's going on with her mom? By, by the way, she's, that character of Leslie's mom, Shocking. super unlikable from the drop, there's just no, there's, I don't think there's an outright villain like that in the show until like season whatever with Jeremy Jam, the councilman who's just like a straight villain. But this villain is her mom. It's really wild to see because you forget about that. Season one, you got some dark jokes, man. It's, you got some dark jokes. And Jeremy Jam, by the way, may be one of my favorite characters ever in Parks and Recreation coming up in many, many seasons. We've lot of podcasts, we get to him. But yeah. he's funny. John Glazer, you just got jammed. Yeah. I'm only speculating here because I'm doing my best to sort of remember sort of what the origin of this story was. And it's kind of like, is it heroic for Leslie when her mom is so conniving and sort of ambitious to make the choice to not be like her mom? Yeah. And, and, and the sort of idea that a mom, this mom figure isn't giving her love and is giving, it's, it's, a, it's a Darth Vader story. <laughs> it's, like, it's almost like a, you know, it's like, it's, it's a can you, can you sort of get away from your mom's path, a person you idolize? But, you know, obviously the show got away from that very, very quickly. But yeah, this is one of the last ones where her mom is super, super prominent. I think uh, the show kind of went away from that. This is Amy Poehler at her most SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> um, I'm going to rate episodes on, on how much Leslie Nope is SpongeBobby SquarePants. Uh, Leslie Bob Nope Pants, right? It's just, I mean, uh, yeah. and you know what it is? It's, it's the big googly eyes, the like uber, uber enthusiastic, like can do attitude on steroids, the, 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 the nervous laugh and she's blonde she, and sort of yellowish. So it's like it really is. There's a lot of, I mean, I, I can't believe that I never picked up on that when I was on the show. It took watching it to find out that they're really similar characters to me. And in this one in particular, because she's so relentlessly positive and driven in the face of, you know, adversity. 
in every facet, right? With Anne, with Mark, with Tom, with her mom, with this lady. It's, 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 uh, I think that's so, such an interesting observation because she's so relentless as a character. And in this one, you know, she's still indefatigable and she makes the right choice at the end. Um, but yeah, just, I, I wrote down that, that, you know, there's just so many more dark jokes. Like the opening is oh. like very, very, very dark and it's, it just ends. It's like, yeah, they like, t- it's like very, like, I don't even repeat the jokes, but yeah, it's, it's like, oh my God. This is the beginning of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Cold open. Leslie to the audience, like, welcome to our show, basically. I was not there for the writing of that. I'm just going to say that right now. But I will also say, look how far we've come. I mean, you can't, you can't make it up. Um. The I also um, one of the things I love about the show I've always loved are the sets because I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Ohio. Um, I grew up, uh, spent a lot of time in Indiana and and, you know, water skied in places like Lake Wawasee. That's like a name that you guys would have put in the show. Um, And every once in a while you get the sets so on the nose. Right. And the barbershop in this episode makes me feel like I was going with my grandpa to sit on a baby chair and get my hair buzzed and get, you know, a lollipop that it really took me right back. In one of the weirdest inciting incidents uh, in the history of Parks and Rec, part of the beginning of this episode is Leslie going to a barber shop, which is kind of like, you know, the local, she thinks it's the sort of local seat of power, right? She goes to this, this, this barber shop and there's kind of a tradition of political people getting their hair cut here by Salvatore Manfrelati. I guess this is also one of the first weird Parks and Rec names. Um, and, and she doesn't know that Salvatore only gives men's haircuts. So that was kind of one of the conceits of the episode as she goes there and then gets this haircut that is essentially a haircut for a man. Not that haircuts are gendered, guys. Not that haircuts are gendered. It can be for a man or a woman, but it happens to be very short. And then that kind of is one of the one of the comedy engines as she goes to the banquet, and then people assume that she and Anne are a couple because they're also overdressed. So, you know, just a little bit of a little bit of farce, a little bit of farce in the fifth episode of Parks. Were there um, multiple like options for the haircut? I, I bet they they were given a a, yes. a, a row of photos because knowing knowing having to run a show and directing an episode or whatever you're probably given 10, 10 options and you have to select almost like you're actually at a barbershop. but yeah yes I, I'm it, always interested in the one that they didn't use like yeah. I, I wonder what the what the haircut that was like mm, that's too much or, mm, that's not enough was there a George Clooney Caesar cut or was there oh, you know I something like really so. short. <laughs> It's like I maybe Amy it. was like, that's not possible. You know, I because I think, look, we're using her real hair, right? So I don't actually don't know. Was it a wig? Greg, do you know if this was a, a, a wig or was it like just her own hair styled and we tucked it under? I think it was her own hair because if I remember correctly, at the end of that episode, she undoes her hair as she's talking to the camera. And so it all kind of comes mm. out. Total power move. Yes, power move, power move. And Greg, you had some thoughts about, you know, there's sort of interesting choices made in the directing and, 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 you know, Parks is not generally known as a super, super visual storytelling show. It's, it's more about the jokes and more about, you know, the staging and stuff, but there, there's a, there's kind of a way that they, they, they block, uh, Leslie and, and Anne and Mark in, in the, in the banquet room. Yeah. I th- our director for this episode, Beth McCarthy Miller, I thought made some really interesting choices in directing. First, there's that scene where, uh, Leslie, Anne, and Mark are playing around and pinching each other's noses. And 
Leslie is to his right and um, uh, Anne is to his left. And then later in the episode, Mark is at the bar with Tom flirting with women. And there are two women they're flirting with. One blonde to his right, like Leslie was, and one uh, brown hair to his left, like uh, Rashida was, to mirror the idea that the earlier scene with Leslie and Anne is a possible flirting scene with Mark that we maybe didn't think about to begin with. So that's one of the really interesting choices she made. And the other one, which uh, is very lucky for us, is that when Leslie has water thrown in her face um, by Janine Restrepo, I think that Polar and Beth were worried that it was going to start to lose the spontaneity in acting and then shooting it. So they agreed to only do it about, I think, two times. And so uh, then in editing the episode, they realized that the cameras were off accidentally for one of them. And so we only had one take and that was the only one that made it. That's the only one that's in the episode. And that's the one. You start to flinch was what happens as an actor. I mean, no matter how good an actor you are, if you're getting slapped in the face a bunch or water thrown in your face or whatever, and you can't help but start to flinch after one or two times. So that's super smart to just you know, only do it. No, you're only going to do it one or two times. We're lucky they got it once, though. And also, can I say, it's also a director's nightmare when Greg casually mentions the camera was off for one of them. The camera was off. Like, that's like, or God forbid you're in the edit room. You know what? We didn't get that one. The camera was off. That's why, you know, so so at the end of, uh, you know, at the end of a day, you say, check the gate or at the end of the scene or or whatever, you say, check the gate. And that really just means it used to be a physical gate in in the film camera to see if there's like hair in the gate. But, now there's no gate. It's a it's a digital camera generally, and and checking the gate just means like, did it work? Like, did we get it <laughs> right? I mean, did we do the thing we're here to do? Yes. Did we press record? <laughs> that's, I love that. And they only got one take because they weren't the camera wasn't on. So you know, even the professionals screw up sometimes. But the other thing is, you only need one take. And that's, that's the other thing true. that makes me laugh is like when directors will go, "Oh my god, that was perfect, just amazing. God, so good. Okay, so let's try. It. Let's do one more." I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Are I know. we trying for one that's not amazing? Is I, that what we're going for now? I all that's why Rob, I always temper my words if I'm asking for one more. <laughs> always, always, never say that was perfect and then ask for another because you're contradicting yourself. I agree, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, that's that's uh, not what the uh, actors love to hear. No, that's for sure. it's like, oh well, okay, we'll be here a bit longer. Okay, do you want me to do anything different? No, okay, <laughs> just do it again. <laughs> I mean that that sight gag shot cut to. To Anne's face when she sees Leslie with the haircut, she's, she, I think she does say something, oh no. Like, uh, nobody does the oh no or the oh my or the look of, like, frightened disdain better than Rashida. Rashida, straight woman, straight woman, classic. It, ta- it takes a lot to be a straight woman. People take it for granted, right? People like the silly guy. People like the silly lady, silly, silly guy. But, it, it, you know, you, to be the straight person, you're not doing nothing. You know, you're not doing nothing. Adam ended up doing a good job of it later in the show, too, but... Um, yeah, reactions. Reactions are important. This is a big episode for Ron, for this is a big episode for Ron Swanson and a big episode for Tom Haverford. Yeah, I felt like Ron really came into his own in this episode. Oh, bro, you know what it is? I, I was trying to think about. It's not just that you guys, and and I don't mean blindly because maybe it wasn't blindly. Maybe somebody said in the writers' room, Ron should like meat, but maybe it was blindly. It was. It was a gag about whatever bacon wrapped in bacon wrapped in shrimp, whatever, right? At the as an an hors d'oeuvre. It's my number one food wrapped in my number three food. You know, like it, it's 
it's just uh, you know I, I think this is one where we really tapped into it and 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 I think behind the scenes you know we spent time with the actors right we spent time with the actors we got to know them they would come to the writers room and at a certain point we visited Nick Offerman at his wood shop so for those who don't know Nick Offerman has a wood shop called Offerman Wood Shop and we were working on the character and we saw him you know take us around the shop here's my you know here's my saws here's my band here's saw. my here's lathe my... exactly right so this is this is a guy and and you know we talked to him about what he liked and he seemed like a manly guy um but yeah so i think that started to bleed its way into the character and i think very organically it was like well he probably would like meat and he would like bacon and um that started playing more and more and so i think that between that moment the bacon wrap shrimp moment which is sort of very seminal for the character and then also his speech of facts where he just lists a speech of facts about marlene i think those just like started locking into the character and it was kind of deriving some of Nick's personality and injecting it into the character. I think that happened with a lot of the actors, but, but Nick in particular. I think for me what it is is that and that it's the dichotomy in the performance of abject glee when he's talking about meat. Like there's yeah. a glimmer, like he's got that devilish, like that offering, <laughs> like high pitched, like he's got abject glee. And then when he's delivering what should be an amazing moment of a speech, 100% dispassion. What? He is an amazing facial actor. I, I, like he, he really does, you know, it's the characters about stillness, right? The characters about sort of being this stone, this immovable yeah. object, but he's doing a lot with a little. He's not doing nothing. He's doing something with his face. There's that classic meme where it's like the many moods of Ron Swanson and it's like, you know, happy, perturbed, angry, sad, depressed, you know, thrilled and it's all the same, you know, it's all the same. <laughs> You know, expression, and, 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 and that's to some extent true, but in real life, in the show, he's giving these tiny differences. But yeah, it is that, and by the way, no one does a better, you know, happy giggle than him. Like later on, like Ugh. we found out he's into puzzles. That's a hilarious episode. He loves puzzles, and it's just like, yeah, it's, it's like a little kid. There's a little kid trapped in that body, too. There's a little kid. In the Hall of Fame of, of, of laughs and giggles, there, I mean, Polar's cackle, and it's truly a cackle, and and Nick's giggle are 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 some of the it's like it's like it's like it's like, it's like seeing a dolphin in the wild just like it re- re- releases like pheromones in your body. Two fun laughs in the show. Two fun laughs for sure. Tom Haverford. Let's talk about his hair in this episode. Uh, it's very Paul McCartney. Circa 1960. He's got the swept bang. Yeah, he's got the bang. Is that an he attempt looks, to be Bieber? It's it's like Human Giant era Aziz. Like if you ever seen photos of Human Giant, that's his sketch show he did before Parks. It's like man, he looks so different. It's because his hair is like this. It's like NYU Business School era Aziz. <laughs> it's like what he was. <laughs> See, but I had kids that young kids then, and they were all. I was like, what is the deal with the Ted Koppel vibe going on? With his hair is like like spatula across their forehead. What's going on? And then I realized, oh, they're trying to be Justin Bieber. <laughs> so I wonder if that's not really what's going on with Aziz. I mean, I don't know that he was a fan of Justin Bieber. I think he was listening to like Modest Mouse and stuff, but maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think he was into like 
Interpol and like the Strokes. It's like probably early two thousands in New York because he that's where he, he went to college. Yet but, he didn't um, have their hair. Tom, in this episode is another good example of you know kind of a behind the scenes look of Aziz kind of getting into the character and pitching stuff. And you know, there's not so much food stuff in this one. There is later for him, but you know, him reading the game. I think it was like something that he pitched to Greg Daniels at a certain point. Like there's that really lame book going around. I, hey, I don't want to say lame, but I don't. It, didn't age well, right? Whatever book that was. It was called The Game, and it was about doing, you know, weird shit at bars to attract people's attention, and, you know, so you're able to hit on them. So I think he he pitched some of that, and it's like, yeah, it's kind of like this guy's a loser in love, and um, we don't even reveal in this one that he's not, that it's a green card marriage, right? That's what's coming up later. So that sort of pathos would come later. But certainly, I think Aziz put a lot of his personality into the Tom character because later on, you see that he's into like a lifestyle aficionado and he likes the finer things in life and 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 he likes fashion and he likes hip-hop and 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 he likes good food and i think that's all kind of aspects of aziz's life he's a man of impeccable taste impeccable taste i think i've said it before on the show i would come to the set and often wanted to steal uh, an item of aziz's clothes <laughs> Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors. No prep, no mess meals. Now, Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved, which is awesome. And they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So, so good. I love this stuff. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore to help you crush your wellness goals. And let me tell you what I crush. They have a smoky bacon and cheddar egg bite that is mm, 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 good. Mm. I tried their shakes also, and they were so good. Oh, I'm a Factor fan. Head to factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 and use code parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code parksandrex50 at factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. That is so true, Greg. LinkedIn knows that as a small business owner, you don't have the time or the resources to spend countless hours looking for the right person for the job. So they have launched a new feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. And it isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching. In fact, get this, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Wow, that, that, that's impressive. That's amazing. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash parks. That's linkedin.com slash parks to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You know, if you're kind of a, a real Parks and Rec old school fan and you've thought about the show a lot and maybe you've talked about it on message boards or Reddit or whatever, I think there's a kind of a consensus that 
the last episode of season one, uh, the episode called Rock Show, which we'll talk about next week, um, is is kind of like stylistically starts feeling like season two. Like it starts feeling a little faster, a little maybe a little bit funnier, a little jokier. It's moving. It's it's you get to see more of Pratt. You know, everything's kind of changing, and and the the chess pieces are moving into place. So you know, that's kind of felt like the consensus behind the scenes with us as well. Um, but if that's the case, then that means that this episode's kind of the transition between season one and season two, if that makes sense. You know, it's kind of a hybrid of the season one style and season two style. And one of the ways I think that's kind of interesting that that works with the story is we also see Leslie become a little bit more of a moral person. And, and in this episode, her mom is kind of a bad influence who tells her to kind of essentially blackmail Janine Restrepo and at the end of the episode, Leslie decides not right. to do that. And so, you know, not only does this episode have, uh, you know, some physical comedy, it's got, the, you know, the, the the haircut bit, the visual gags, you know, she gets water thrown in her face, all that stuff. It, it, it moves a little bit faster, and we start to see Leslie as a person who has a moral compass and, frankly, does the right thing. And, and we'll see as Parks progresses, not only does she do the right thing, usually she becomes the person who tells other people to do the right thing, and she becomes an incredibly, incredibly principled person, and that's the Leslie Nope I think people come to know and love. And so I, I just thought that was interesting. Rob, did you did you get that sense watching that episode, this episode? Well, I did. It's that thing we've talked about before that, you know, this, you always remember, we have to remember this started out as the Office spinoff, and, you know, yes. This show could could not be anything farther away than anything office spinoff e, but if you were doing the office spinoff, you would you would have a, a sort of uh, a, a Michael character who would not be described as anybody's conscience. That's for sure. Hilarious, but not anybody's conscience. And and this is yeah. this episode we're talking about today is the first episode where 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 Leslie the, that character is 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 being imbued with characteristics that aren't at all connected to a sort of um, Michael Scott type series lead. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And and there's I think we even as a as a writer's room we're kind of feeling out like there are ways to be funny and be a good person. I know that sounds kind of, you know, trivial to say, but it really is like that's the soul of Parks by the end of the series, right? It's like these are all good people trying their best to do the right thing, and it's still funny, and it's goofy, and it's fast, and it's there's there's wacky jokes, and and but they all love each other, and you know you find conflict in other ways, you find external conflict, you find that you know Leslie versus the town, you know Leslie and the team, uh, you know trying to reform things, and those are all story engines that you know we didn't necessarily have completely in place season one so it, it's it's fascinating to see and, and we'll talk about rock show next week uh in terms of how that one feels like another step forward and and feels like wow there's jump cuts and it's it's moving and 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 it's just really comedy dense it's just such a dense comedy material which you know actually shows don't do that much anymore you know if you watch shows now there's not that many comedies that are like that i had post-traumatic stress disorder watching this episode because anytime we were in that um banquet room meant we were there forever and the air conditioning never worked ever. And, and that what you love is it looks like a sort of vaguely rundown, you know, mid level thing. And the way you get that, I think mostly is from the carpeting and that carpeting was disgusting. Yeah. I remember, was that in, was that in the sportsman's lodge, Greg? Do you remember? Was this? No, in the, it's I'm, not. I'm sure it was the Valley. Cause, no, cause the sportsman's lodge is a little nicer, right? No. Cause I remember also driving to this place. It was nowhere easy. Like the sportsman's lodge. Right. R.I.P. Sportsman's Lodge, by the way. I know. They tore it down, right? R.I.P. They, they used to be like parties. I poured one stuff. out. 
in the Sportsman's Lodge. Sports, Sportsman's Lodge. We shot a lot of, so there's this, yeah, there's this building in, in, again, in the Valley that we shot a lot of parks at, and I think, you know, is used for production sometimes, called the Sportsman's Lodge, and it's kind of versatile. There's, like, event spaces and stuff like that. I'm, I mean, I don't want to say it was old, but it was in the middle of the San Fernando Valley, and it was a lodge where sportsmen went. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, this is when the land was covered in deer, and we could go hunt them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, producer Greg said he had his high school graduation breakfast at the Sportsman Lodge. That's amazing. That's actually like you're. That's OG, man. That's like Paul Thomas Anderson shit. It's like, yeah, I grew up in the valley. It's like, wow, that's pretty crazy, man. You really know the area. Um, yeah. I, so that you know that room. The thing about when you shoot, when you when you break a story like this, you're like, okay, yeah, it's gonna be all like like at an event, and it'll be at this thing. Then you realize you're shooting the whole week at that space so you're just there every day you're just there all the time and it's hope hopefully it's like relatively comfortable in this case at least it's a big space sometimes you're in a tiny apartment you're like oh we're shooting the whole thing in this tiny apartment it's not good there is a talking head where leslie lists the previous uh uh people who won the big award and it's nothing but names I bet we spent 80% of our time on this episode just writing those names. It's like, they get just, just a, a thing that an obsession of Mike Shores, a brilliant writer, and uh, has a weakness for names. So there's a literal run there. And then later, later, her mom does it again and says all the bad shit that they did. So she also lists the, name again, lists the names again. And it's like, oh my God, we're getting to hear them again. And by the way, the main character is named Janine Restrepo, which also is like a nonsense name. And the, the awards are called the Tony Tellinson Awards. They're all, you know, Mike's point, Mike's point is always like, you know what? You know what? People say I come up with silly names, but look at people's names in real life. Like they are weird and they are like, there's, there are things that you don't think of. So it's not that I'm making, but I'm like, you're pushing it far, man. You're pushing it really far. Like, it's like um, you know, the other thing uh, that people wouldn't necessarily know is to use a name on television. Any name has to be cleared by a battery of lawyers at the network. And it's really, 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 really difficult. That's why Chris Traeger became Chris Traeger. And not Chris Yeager. Chris Ye- and I, I'm obsessed with this whole name clearance thing. So do you mean to tell me that somewhere there was a Chris Yeager that the network legal staff was like, absolutely, he will sue. This Chris Yeager who lives in Des Moines is going to, we know he's there and he's going to sue. But there's no Chris Traeger ever anywhere in the world. I don't understand it's, how that happens. It's so annoying. I want to call on producer Greg because because he had to deal with this a lot, and and it, it is annoying. Greg, Greg, what is the legality of all of this? Hey guys, yeah, it's very strange um, when you uh, do clearances. Um, they look at the specifically where the show takes place, and so they look in. Let's say it takes place in Los Angeles to look at how many people have that name that more than three people have that name. They think it's a common enough name. They're not worried about a specific person suing them, thinking it's about them. If zero people have that name, it's also great. But that zero to three is a danger zone. But because this took place in a fictional town, Pawnee, Indiana, they took the entire state of Indiana and said, if zero to three people have that name, we couldn't use it. And so anything that was close, if it sounded the same, it wouldn't work. so we have a lot of difficulty getting these names. And I remember I was responsible for the clearances. Um, it took a long time to get this list that Mike was happy about. <laughs> just just a thankless job. By the way, everybody, that's producer Greg. Greg was 
integral part of the show. He was a writer, and he also, at some varying points, was a writer's assistant, script coordinator. He was in the room for all seven seasons and has more institutional memory of the show than any human being who's probably ever lived. So um, it's good to have him on board of this podcast, and we will check in with him periodically when we have questions like that because he remembers way better than I do. I don't remember what happened last week, so uh, we're going to call on him. But yeah, it is it is extraordinarily annoying, and and God bless all the people in legal. But it's always like, yeah, we want to we want to call this character Leslie Nope, and they're like, what about Leslie Nope and Fossensis or something? Like it's like, oh, that's no one has that name. Like it has to be something no one has. So is it's that like, why it's there's like, a, a silent K? I think that was Mike Shore. I think that was just Mike. <laughs> I think that was just like he wanted something weird. So maybe it works. Maybe it works in that in the respect. But uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a pain in the ass clearing names for sure. Who is the actor who plays basically the master of ceremonies of the banquet? Oh yeah, Martin Housley, right? Martin Housley. That's his. That, that's the character's name. And uh, sorry, he ends up being the MC of so many events. That's the thing, man. It's a good gig to get in early on this show because you might come back like 20 times yeah. <laughs> the the actor's name is jim meskimen and uh yeah he did a good job and and so if you're sort of established early on in the parks universe you might come back a bunch of times right you might be able to pay some of your some of your rent with that with that money because it, it, it's good man people talk about okay i want to take a minute to do a little deep dive on this so people always want to know what's the difference between comedy and drama you know why 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 can't dramatic actors be funny sometimes blah, 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 blah. Jim. His work in this episode is beyond belief funny because what he does is he plays it totally 100% straight doing the following introduction. And now a powerful message from Anthony Tellison himself recorded earlier this year from his hospital bed before he lost the power of speech. And it's, I realize it's the performance, but also it's the construction of the language. There is not one like sort of wink, wink at the camera. I'm not, not a literal wink, but like actors have a way of letting you know sometimes that they're in on the joke. And all of that is comedy killing all of it. And this guy is, is putting on a clinic of straight man acting because he's delivering it as if it's deadly real and of course what he's saying is so outrageous that's the stuff that had me laughing out loud i'm so glad to hear you say that because it's almost verbatim what we try to communicate and which what we try to tell actors because you know people can see the strings when you're trying right it's we we use the word sweaty right it's like oh it's sweaty (laughs) like you can see them trying you're trying to get the laugh and Certainly for, for my taste, I prefer when things are played straight. And it's like, yeah, just say, you know, just say it like you're a real person. Like trust the lines and trust the situation and trust your other actors. But you're right, it's hard. And I understand where actors are coming for it from. You know, I've had day players come in and, you know, I remember one time, I will not name whoever this is, but but they came in and it was like they would deliver the line and like do something with their eyebrows, right? Do a funny thing with your eyebrows. Like, yeah, it's great. Just don't do the eyebrow thing. <laughs> they just get locked. They just do it. Yeah, they're just doing it. And, and they did it every time. It's like, well, we can't use those takes. Like it doesn't, it's no one would do that. You know, it's like, it's just you're, once you're doing it super and everything has its own tone, right? If you're doing something really wild, if you're doing Anchorman or something that's super jokey, then sure, maybe you can put a lot of spin on stuff. But even in that case, it's like, I find that stuff, you know, look at like Paul Rudd or someone. It's like, he plays shit straight and it's so funny. You, 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 you know, there's people who are able to just play it straight and and you know you trust the material and and i think 
you know, it, it's it's difficult to teach it. Not everyone can do it. You know, I, I think it's you can't just plug and play necessarily. Um, but yeah, afterwards he says something like, "Thank you for those inspiring." Oh, I have it down. It's a little borderline offensive, but please, Drow, read it. <laughs> um, it's literally a guy in a hospital bed, clearly dead, and and you laugh at that, and then it cuts back to him, and he says, "Thank you, Tony, for those inspiring twitches," and blinks. I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm going down with that ship. It makes me laugh. It that made me laugh out loud in my bed. Those inspiring twitches and blinks made me laugh in my bed five hours after I watched this episode. Feels like something Dan Gorod right because he has an obsession with like physical infirmity and sort of getting sick. And so he, I think I think his. He, he, I think he was almost like he was pre-med basically and his parents wrote diet books and like, you know, he's just obsessed with the human body and his production company, you know, he went on to co-create Brooklyn Nine-Nine. His production company is called Not A Doctor Productions because I think his parents wanted him to be a doctor. So I think his way of making up for it is he puts, he tries to put medical jokes into like Parks and Rec or Brooklyn. Saving money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money at Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Time for a town hall, one of my favorite parts of every episode. Rob, do you want to pick where we do this town hall from? As Chris Traeger said, I want to be a restaurant. <laughs> I would like them to have food, and I would like it to be hot. <laughs> There's one from season four that uh, is a sleeper that I'd like to pitch to you. Ooh, please. It's a Greek place called Achilles Meal. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So I, I, I believe, I don't want to take credit for a joke I didn't write, but I believe I did pitch that joke if you even want to call it a joke but yes yeah, so. achilles meal <laughs> achilles greek meal. restaurant let's do let's it let's get some hummus yeah, let's and have, let's get down let's to have it have some souvlaki and some uh, grilled fish all right so yes. this question comes to us from ryan r ryan writes hi alan and rob how do you think chris and ben would have been received had they entered pawnee in season one instead of the end of season two i've always been curious how the show would have changed if they were introduced earlier Thanks. He, had, he adds a special personal note. Also, Parks and Rec has greatly impacted my life. In 2015, I started an ice cream company called Be Ice Cream or Be Nothing, inspired by Ron Swanson. And in 2017, I applied for and was appointed by our mayor to my city's Parks and Recreation Commission. Wow. I served two terms, helped approve new parks, and served on a subcommittee to replace our 30-year-old Parks and Recreation master plan. It was a blast. 
When people ask me, it's, this is insane. When people ask me what motivated me to get involved with local government, I always give credit to Leslie Nope and the Parks and Rec crew. Smiley face, loving the podcast. Oh, that's that's the gr- that's amazing. It's very sweet, Ryan, and 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 also. By the way, a challenge to anyone who considers themselves a Parks and Rec fan. Uh, have you walked the walk like Ryan? Have you actually worked in yes. a Parks and Rec department and started a company inspired by a Ron Swanson quote? Because if not, you got a long way to go to catch up to Ryan. He's a real That's fan. Right. He's a real fan. He's getting Parks made. He's literally getting Parks made. It's it's insane. Even we didn't do that. I mean, we, I we made TV parks. He's making real parks. I know. I feel I feel like I'm not a big enough fan now. I, I should I, I, sh- I should do some more public service. Um, so the question is, well, you know, what would Chris and Ben have done, and how would they have been received if they if they came in season one? It's it's actually really fascinating to think about. You know, it's really fascinating. I just think that there are. I've always thought that that ensemble shows, dramas, or comedies are teams, actual teams playing actual seasons, like shooting a season and, you know, playing a season of, of sports teams. And there you get somebody at the trading deadline. And the next thing you know, you're in the world series or, you know, do you know what I'm saying? And, and I think we came in at the trading deadline and, and, and we, we moved the, the, the team to, you know, a, a, a different, level and i'm not sure that would have happened had we been on the team in the first place it's it's to me it's the kind of thing where and and look ryan i want to answer your hypothetical but i will first say (laughs) i i i I, there's no regrets in terms of how it all played out because it played out so great you know and i feel like that sort of end of season two beginning of season three is maybe the best run of the show especially going into that sort of harvest festival arc and you know we have flu season and, and all those great episodes in the in the start of season three so I, I wouldn't change it if I could but I will say you know I think it would have changed a lot of stuff and and I, I would be curious to see you guys in the tone because this you're right like the tone of the show was changing and shifting so I mean, it would have been different. I mean, I think the the Mark and Anne storyline would have been different, obviously. And um, who knows what would have happened? Like, would we have played? Like to me, it's almost like would there have been a Leslie and Ben romantic arc if if they came in that early? Because everything's just different. Like it's all like you said, it's very much like a team. It's very much like Jenga pieces, and yeah. you have different pieces. It just plays out differently. You know, it just it just changes. What if, by the way, do Andy and April end up together? Like that, like you never know. You like everything gets rejiggered, and and you maybe maybe there's a bunch of stories with Chris and Andy or or Ben and and April. You just don't know. I mean, I guess eventually Ben moved in with Andy and April, so that was something. Yes, but, that did. Happen, yeah, but didn't maybe it? maybe that all gets accelerated, right? That, that that. But what would worry me is you just don't know if you're going to end up in the same place because a lot of that stuff when you're when you're writing the show, I feel like it comes organically from what came before. And you know, and the other thing is, you know what the needs of the team are. Again, not to 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 belabor this analogy, but if you realize, gosh, we're not hitting left-handers very well, yeah, you go out and get somebody who can hit left-handers, yeah. And we wanted people to come in and do whatever it is that thing that 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 um, we did when when the Chris and Ben did when they came they came in, yeah. And, and I kind of feel like as as a simple answer to Ryan's question. Kind of as far as the Leslie Ben relationship, I feel like with earlier Leslie and with season one and season two Leslie, I think it would have taken her longer to warm up to Ben. I think it would have been more uh, sort of adversarial for longer. You know, we we ended up playing that out 
for what two or three episodes and then they kind of liked each other i feel like earlier leslie maybe it would have been more more sort of there would have been kind of more conflict between them maybe i think that would have played out longer because leslie was a bit of a different character and and same thing with chris too where like maybe she would have been butting heads with those two a little bit longer and it would have played out there there would have maybe there would have been maybe maybe chris wouldn't have been quite so positive to start out because it was a different type of show yeah chris as as we know him if he'd have showed up in those first three episodes, would have been like a Martian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, it wasn't that kind of show. Do you remember? Yeah. Remember those first three episodes are almost like an. Remember I said they're like indie, yeah. almost like a '90s indie comedy. Yeah, it's like a '90s A24. It's like we're watching. Uh, yeah, we're watching like Zola or something. <laughs> no, it's it, it's just it's just shot differently, right? It's shot differently, and 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 uh, you know, there's a different there's a different tone, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was a good, that was a, gosh, we could navel gaze on this one for a while. Uh, yeah, that was a really cool question. That's like a very contemplative, philosophical question. Yeah. So thank you very much, Ryan R. You've set the benchmark for Parks and Rec fandom, and you sent in a great question. Um, you can send in questions, uh, Parks and Recollection Town Hall at gmail.com. Uh, wonderful. Let's take our leave from Achilles Meal. We had our fill of souvlaki, and let's get out of here. Thanks to producer Greg and producer Schulte. Goodbye from Pawnee. This episode of Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.